glad to have the Lord today. He is our foundation. And all other things are failing. Jesus still remains the same yesterday, today, and forever. No matter what we're facing in this life and no matter what we're seeing, we're seeing things we've never imagined. We're seeing things in the world. Let's not be afraid. The scripture says to fear not. Fear not. For your redemption draweth nigh. We're to be looking to Jesus. We're being challenged in this life. But God is, I got to thinking, I was praying about it actually, and I think God spoke to me something yesterday. I believe he's saying this. I'm the same God as the God on the mountains. I'm the same God there as I am in the valleys. I'm the same God in the good, and I'm the same God in the bad, in the tough times. So don't lose sight of me. So we're going to take a look at Philippians chapter 3. God is with us always. And Paul, writing these, these words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he was in prison. I don't know about you, that wouldn't be a very fun place to be. That'd be kind of a pr- place to get depressed, to get down, to get discouraged, to get thinking, well, what? You know, I used to be out and about. I used to have freedom. You know, I used to be able to go places. He, Paul, you know, I can imagine. But there were some things that he had to war and fight off in his spirit, man, through the help of the Holy Spirit. Uh, none of us are so spiritual that we're not human. Right? Right? If we admit, if we were honest, we would admit and we say, yes, sometimes we feel afraid. Yes, sometimes we feel like, oh, down or discouragement. But you know what God is saying to you? That's okay. Look to me. Because in those times, then I will help you. Then in those times and in your weakness, you will be made strong. You know, Paul that wrote to Corinthians. He had some kind of a thing. He called it a thorn in his flesh. Some, some believe it was, a, it was a physical thing. Probably was. Some believe it was perhaps his eyes. As he, there seems to be a hint that he had troubles with his eyes. Seeing, but we don't know exactly what it doesn't matter. But what matters was that the words that Jesus spoke to him. And see, he prayed. He asked God. And God says to him, I'm going to do this. I'm going to be your strength in your weakness. I'm going to be your strength in your weakness. Because there was something that God had in mind. That when Paul had weakness, he would depend more upon him. Could it be that the weaknesses that we're seeing around us today would cause us to depend on him none like none other? We are challenged with, with this pandemic. We're challenged with, with uh, the, the whole world in, in a sense that is, is, is an upheaval the uncertainties that you and I live with, that there is something certain today that we, we have a hope that through Jesus Christ we're going we're gonna to triumph. We're not, only just, we're not just going to get by, but we're going to go to the next level. We're going to climb higher with God. We're going we're gonna to know him more. We're going to read the passages that deal with this whole idea that Paul was describing in his text that this whole thing about suffering let me read it for you. As we jump in in Philippians chapter 3, we're going to call this first point Paul's plea. Then we'll move on to Paul's passion and then Paul's pressing on. 
Paul's plea in verses 7 through 8, but whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as lost for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Everything that you and I have worked for or have achieved in this life is good. God sees your works. God honors faithfulness. God has a reward for your works. But nothing can take the place of the value of knowing Christ. Nothing can come close to your greatest riches. Your greatest riches is knowing Christ. Simple and plain, isn't it? So simple and plain that people sometimes forget. What are we striving for? Ecclesiastes describes it as a man that it was always working, working, and working. He never had anybody else in his life really to work for. He was just alone. He kept on working. He was striving after wind. Wind. You can't catch the wind. Did I, I've never, have you ever tried to catch the wind? That's, that's impossible. It's like in vain. Ever try to catch the, the pig on the farm? Remember Horton? He's a bugger to catch. They run this way, the dodge that way. Another kid who used to try to catch the chickens. Once in a while, we'd get a hold of them. But it was a mess. They'd beat their wings. I'm just trying to describe you the picture. Without Christ, we're just, we're just driving after wind. There's no hope. But with Christ, there is hope. With Christ the Lord. See, what happens, everything that you do now is unto the Lord. This is, what the, this is the difference. Jesus saved us so that we could become a vessel, an instrument in his hands. He is like the potter. You and I are the clay. And so what Paul has described, and he, we didn't read the verses previous, but he listed some of the things that he had accomplished. He said, I'm a, I was, uh, you know, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence, this is verse 4, the last part of that. If anyone has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisees. He was studied up. He knew the law. And isn't it interesting how God, when Jesus got a hold of Paul, he took, he took what he knew and he, he began, to, it went from his head to his heart. There's the heart thing. God used Paul in a mighty way to 
reason with the Pharisees and to talk with them and even debate with them and speak the word of God with boldness. But we never, we never take the gifts or the talents and begin to depend on the talents more than we should depend on Jesus. In fact, the matter is the gifts of the Holy Spirit, you know, we have several, nine of them that are mentioned in the book of Corinth. Wisdom and knowledge and speaking in tongues, interpretation of tongues, it's just a few. Miracles, healings, faith. No matter how many of those gifts God uses us in, it's not a, a replacement for our relationship with Jesus. It's, it's just a beautiful thing to understand. Paul says, I desire the gifts. Desire the gifts, it's a good thing, but they never take the place of your desire for Jesus. Because if he never gave us one thing after he gave us salvation, it would be enough. Because his presence is enough. Because his, his, his walk in our heart, his loving, loving kindness toward you and I, what, what Paul is describing here, everything that I have accomplished, everything that I've thought that was good, this is going to really, you know, he didn't say it this way, but he said, this will get the attention of God. That's not how God operates. You know what gets the attention of God? Humility. Brokenness. Surrender. It's not what I've done. It's what he's done. That gets the attention of God. Even in the Old Testament, when these kings I've been reading up, you know, through the Bible, just kind of plow through it. And uh, then I'll, you know, I'll skip back to the New Testament. And I, I kind of filter through that, weave in and around and so forth. First Kings. It's the beginning of the ministry of Elijah. You start to read about the story of Elijah. And this is during the time when king, one king, most of them were rotten to the core. Some were even more rotten than the other one. But once in a while, they, he would hit a good king. And as soon as that king turned back to the Lord, the people gave attention to God, got rid of the sacrifices to idolatry, got rid of the false gods, cleaned up the act, so to speak, God blessed because that king, this, the scriptures talks about if the king's heart is toward God, then the, the nation is blessed. And so we're, we're seeing this need. And so Elijah is, is being used by God in a mighty way. In fact, he, he heals through God's power, of course. One of the first stories of Elijah, he finds this, this woman who is they're, they're an extreme, having an extreme famine. There's no crop. There's no, there's just a, she just has a handful of flour and a little oil left in the jar. And it's her and her son. And she's talking with, Elijah is challenging her, make me a piece of bread first before you make your son. 
Well, she's thinking, I don't have hardly enough. We're going to eat this last meal, and then we're going to die. What a hopeless situation. And Elijah challenges her. And sure enough, and she acted on faith. She began to prepare. And you know what? They lived on that for many days and many days. And the bowl of flour never was exhausted. And the jar of oil never ran out. What does that represent? It represents to you and I, God the Father, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit are never exhausted. They never run out. There's not, never, never say it's no, it's no hope because with God there is hope. With people, your friends, your relatives, your your loved ones, there's hope because there's a God in heaven who hears the cry of anyone who will cry unto him even in their last breath. They can be saved because the thief on the cross, even in his last moment, said, remember me. And Jesus said, I, you will be with me today in paradise. That's the God we serve. He doesn't need our money. He doesn't need what he wants. He uses the gifts, the talents. He uses us. But when it's healthy, it's person realizing it's by the help of the Lord, by the grace of God. Every breath we sang of today, every breath that I take, every moment I'm awake, that's a challenge. I will be honest, I can't say every moment I'm awake, I'm always in the spirit. But that's my desire. That's, I believe this is what we desire. But see, here's how it works. God doesn't throw us away when we're not in the spirit. He's just waiting for us to get back to him. If we wander off the path, if we make some mistakes, it won't be long because he's, he's given us the help of the Holy Spirit. If we're tender inside, if we don't allow the things of this world to harden our hearts or don't harden our hearts against God, then we still have a chance to get back and be in right relationship with Jesus. See, it goes back to this. Everything that I try to accomplish on my own, it really doesn't matter except only thing that matters is that I would have Jesus may be found in him, Paul's plea as he's describing to us this whole idea about lordship. See, it's not always about we having Jesus, it's about Jesus having you and I. And I love that how Vern taught how both the Egyptians, when you know the Israelites were in Egypt, God got them out of Egypt, but it took a while for God to get Egypt out of them. They wanted to go back. You know what's really a challenge in life? Is that we can't go back. We can remember. We can learn from. We can't go back. Time always keeps going forward. And so we are to live in that way. We're looking forward and we'll look at these passages that are coming up. But Paul's passion Rather than his plea, he moves on to verse 9 and 10, and we find that he writes these words, and then we may found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, 
there are there is a danger when we begin to think that we can fix ourselves. Oh, we become self-righteous, and that's a dangerous place to be in. Or we begin to think this way, well, if we outdo the, the bad with the good, we'll, we'll be in good, good relationship with God. That don't work very good. Because guess what? You and I know this. We can't live good enough, be good enough, have enough good deeds to earn our way to heaven. And so we're freed up by this. Jesus paid the price. Now he's saying, believe on me, walk with me, and together we will, we will accomplish, we will, we will climb to the next level, we will, we will go, we will, we will have an adventure, we will have, we will go, we're going to change, uh, uh, people are going to be changed because of what God's power is doing in them. God is always at work, isn't he? God is always at work in us. And we say it like this, God is always at work in us so he can do a work through us. And I, I, I really like that saying, but the key is this, am I letting God work in me? Am I, living, am I giving God the time? That's the only, that's the only way it's going to happen if I give God the time, if I begin to seek him. And so Paul's passion, it becomes, and here he's writing from a prison cell, here he is trying to encourage someone. He's thinking uh, not about himself. He's thinking about his Lord. He's thinking about the church that I may know him. And let me back up to verse 9. And be found in him, having a righteous, not having a righteousness of my own or derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him. That I may know him. We can't stop there because we've got to read on There's more. And the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being conformed to his death. There's a whole lot packed in that little verse right there. Let's try to unpack it a bit. That I may know him. I believe we can know Christ, but there's, a more, there's another level. There are higher levels. There are deeper, a deeper walk. And here's how I feel this verse, what it's speaking to. We cannot know the power of his resurrection until we have been down in a place where we have been dead. Or we have been facing death. Or we have been facing discouragement. Because those people, those kinds of situations really be, become a test to our faith. Then when we know we ought to be up, but we're struggling. I had a pastor that I grew up under who had a, he, he, would, he, he would talk about this story. This, was a, this is a true story. Um, how, how old is Pastor Don Norman? He's way up in his 90s. 90-something, 90 95? I'm not sure. I always preached hard, preached his heart out. But during his young ministry, in his, in his, his first church, or maybe the second, but he was pastoring two churches at the same time. 
And he talked about this. One church got jealous because he was, they thought, well, he's spending more time with them. And, but it got to him. It bothered him so bad that this, my pastor, before he came to Aiken, uh, he had a nervous breakdown. He said everything became dark. He shut himself in his bedroom and pulled the shades. It's a tough place to be in. But one day, things broke. Something happened. Through prayer, others were praying, no doubt. But resurrection came, and he was changed. He was set free from that depression. He was healed in his spirit, man, and he went on to serve the Lord for many, many more years. See, that could have ended him. That kind of discouragement could have brought him to a place that there's no use. These, ple- these people don't appreciate. You know, you can get down on it, get discouraged. And so that's just one story. Well, there's another man in scriptures, his name was Elijah. I referred to him already. He had a mountaintop experience. He brought healing to this little boy. I didn't finish that story, but the widow, not the widow, but the woman who had the, the son. He made, made this, this bread, and Elijah wasn't long her maid son, was her maid son that dies, the young boy. And Elijah said, where is he? He goes up, and he, he lays him on his own place where he was sleeping and prays in the, in, in, to God, and life comes back into the boy, and then he brings the boy to, to back to his mother. Talk about faith building. That'll build your faith. Several verses down, he begins to have this this showdown with the false prophets of Baal who were trying to, you know, they thought it was a pretty good idea. Let's have this showdown. Let's put the sacrifice out. Let's pray to God. And whoever, whose God answers by fire, then that's it. That's the one who's the true God. And sure enough, Elijah is waiting and waiting. And these, these prophets are, are just carrying on, cutting themselves and blood's running, and it's a mess. And Elijah plays with them a little bit. And your God must be maybe taking a rest. Or he's, he's occupied by something. And what does Elijah do? But he prays in a single prayer, a sentence. But he says, before that, take some water there and just begin to pour it all over this wood and let the water run down. See, there was was not going to be any doubt in these people's minds. And then he looks to God. And God consumes, boom, even the rocks, it says, were burned up. And now we would think, Elijah, you must feel like you're on top of the world. Wow, you could go on that for a long time, but it wasn't very long. He was discouraged. He was depressed. He was alone. There were no other prophets that he knew of, and he was the last one. That's the way he felt. I'm the last one, and Jezebel's out to get me. That's how he felt. And so he finds a cave, and he crawls into it. And he wants to die. 
It just wants his life to be over. That's a tough place to be in. Friends, people are, who are out and about today, many, many people are living in places of hopelessness. They're discouraged, and they need the day of resurrection. They need the light of Jesus Christ. Even people that are in the ministry are sometimes going through things that are very difficult and very hard, or have been through. They've been hurt, and they're struggling, and they need the healer of Jesus. And I'm here to say and declare to you that the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering is not, it, it, it is God never forgets faithfulness. God never forgets you when you're, when you find, feel like you're all alone. God hasn't forgotten you. God is sometimes, for whatever reason, tests us, allows these things. And even because we live in this world, we are not exempt from trial. We are not promised an easy road, but we're promised that he will be with us. And no matter what it takes, that I might know him, if it takes persecution, if it takes things that are hard, that if that's what it takes, Lord, to bring me closer to you, then so be it. So be it. Then it will be worth it all. If I will press in, if I will dig in, if I will seek him like none other, Paul's passion was to know him, to not only just know about him, not just to have the law all figured out, but to know who Jesus I want to know his, I want to know his voice. Hebrews describes the people there because they had a practice. They practiced. They had their senses were trained. Their senses were trained because of it takes practice to hear the voice of God. And here's how I, I'm beginning to understand. He speaks to us in everyday little things. Have you ever felt like something's going to go wrong ahead of time? Or he warns, you felt a warning? You felt a warning, and then you thought, oh, that was the Lord. That wasn't just my mind. So practicing, I'm not saying that we hit it every time, but I think we can begin to, I, I'm sensing that there, God is just as interested in, in walking with you as on Sundays, he's just as interested in going you going with you through the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, every moment. God is not a God to say, well, we'll put him on, we'll put him in the closet now and then we'll go on. It's, no, 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 no. He's with you always. So that I might know him. It takes practice. It takes Shutting off things, getting alone, being quiet. For me, I sometimes just take my guitar and worship him and just, just get in his presence, just worship him, and then wait on him, be quiet. Sometimes I sing 
I sing, sometimes I sing in tongues. I'm alone with God. I'm not going to freak anybody out that way, am I? Let's sing. This, Paul said, I sing in tongues. Paul said that to the Corinthians. He spoke in tongues. That gift is for the church to empower you, to edit, bring edification. Well, if you've never been taught about it, I encourage you to read the book of Acts. Start reading in Acts chapter 2, and you will discover what happened to the early church. And I believe it's still for you and I today. Friends, listen. We need the power of the Holy Spirit more than ever. If we're going to discern, discern was one of the gifts, discern what is truth and what is not truth. Discern, sometimes we discern there's something going on, it's demonic. It's, you know, I don't like, I'm not the kind of guy that says there's a demon and everything. I'm just not that way. But there is demonic things going on in the force of this world. We know that. Guess what? Jesus came to heal. He gets rid of his stuff. Paul, Paul is saying, no matter what it takes, Lord, no matter what I've done for you, no matter what my resume may have, no matter how good it looks, it doesn't matter a hill of, my prince, Norwegian, a hill of beans. He said rubbish. One translation used the words dung. It's nothing. What matters is that on judgment day is that I know you. That he know, that you know him. <laughs> Did you know that in First John there's a verse that says, "Perfect love casts out fear." At judgment Day. You know what was Paul's? What was Paul's ambition? It was to help the church. Help the believers get ready for Judgment Day. Prepare them for it. So that they could be in right relationship. So that they would, he, he, they would, be, they would be so happy. It would be the happiest day in their life. Judgment Day. Jesus takes our judgment. Takes our penalty. There are two kinds of judgment. I don't have time to go into them, but just quickly, two kinds of judgment. There's a judgment uh, seat of Christ. That's where our works are going to be rewarded. Our works and stuff that we've done that wasn't uh, honoring the Lord will be burned up, wood, hay, stubble. But stuff that's like serving, uh, stuff as small as, as Jesus said, give me a, a cup of cold water, serving in some way, as unto the Lord will be, will be recognized and rewarded. The other judgment is the great the judgment seat of Christ, or, or the great white throne, rather, judgment. That is where those who are lost, those who are already uh, are perishing, going to be resurrected back to the degree of judgment. We won't have to worry about that one. And Jesus is going to stand with us on judgment day because he lives within us. 
And so perfect love casts out fear. Psalm 37 describes that he will make your judgment as the new day. That would be a great time. It's going to be a highlight, a highlight of your life. That's what we, what we strive for. That's because we, we, we're seeking to know him. It's not about what we say, Lord, well, I've done this, I've done this, I've done this. No, no, no. Did you, do, did you seek me? Did, do you know me? That's what's going to count the most. And so I'm going to wrap it up. Paul's pressing on. You know, life can't stand still. Time can't stand still. Time keeps pressing on. Series of events, series of, of, you look at history, you read the book of Ecclesiastes, you say what's gone around comes around, basically evolves and revolves. Nothing new under the sun. There are days when maybe you'd wish you could go back and be young again. Hello, come on, maybe just for a while. But then you think, well, you know what, I don't really want to. At those days, I want to I live now. What do I look forward to now? I learn from my mistakes. I thank God for what he's provided for me. I've been blessed. I'm not perfect but I'm saved by his grace. And so Paul is, is not wanting to stay where he's at in his walk with God. He's not going to just come, become stale or comfortable or complacent. He says, I haven't arrived, verse 12, is basically what he's saying. Not that I've already obtained it. I haven't arrived. But I press on. I press on. Yesterday's gone. Yesterday's mistakes, I can't go back. If I could, I'd go back and do it differently. But God forgives, you're, you're, you're cleansed, you move on. And the good news is, he is waiting for us. Not, more, not even waiting for us. He's with us. He's beside us. Helping you get to the finish line. He's running with you. Who's waiting for us are the people that have already passed. They're in heaven, Hebrews chapter 11. So great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us. Those are the people that are waiting for us. God the Holy Spirit is in you now. He's running with you. Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, is running with you. And so it's like this. When you get to a hard place, when you get tired, sometimes he says, okay, rest, rest, rest. Trust me. At times where you say you need, to, you need to take a breather. And this God doesn't push us to over. To, he doesn't expect us to do more than we can handle. I press on that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. That I may, my lay, I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus.
Jacob wrestled with God because he was afraid for his life and his family. Remember the story? Because he'd really ripped his brother off. He, you know, Esau stole his birthright, confused him, con connived him. I'll never fully understand that story until heaven. Why did God let that happen? God sees more than we can see. Jacob, it caught up to him. It was bothering him because he heard his brother was coming. It was no, he wasn't by himself. He had an army with him. But he wasn't sure if this was going to be friendly there was going to be conflict, so he spends, he sends his, most of his family on or holds them back, I forget. But he takes, all through the night, he wrestles with God. He prays like he never prayed before. You see, he went to another level that day. And what happened? God had to touch him. He had to shut him down. And he wrestled. As it says, an angel of the Lord, it could have been Christ himself. But he limped from that day on. He limped. He led with a limp. He walked with a limp as a reminder what had happened. But the greatest thing is that God changed Jacob forever. He took his name, Jacob, and changed him to Israel. He changed his heart. He changed his identity. He, Jacob meant heel catcher, deceiver. Had to do with his conniving. God takes people that are connivers, that are cheaters, that are liars, that are distant, and says, come, I will make you fishers of men, the disciples. I will make you what I just created you. I will make you more than you could ever imagine because I have another level. I have a place for you in mind. I have a job for you. Together we can do, brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. I press, but I do, forgetting what lies behind. See, we get too caught up. Well, I'm not good enough. I, you know, if you only know what I've done, we, we, we argue with God. Moses argued with God. You know, he was guilty. He was guilty. He, was, he, he killed a man. He was guilty. He was ashamed. When God said, you're, you're the man I'm picking, you, you're going you're gonna to do some great things to me. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, oh, Lord, may there be healing in our hearts and our past. May there be setting free. That's all comes through Jesus. I press toward the goal for the prize. You know, there's nothing, nothing that can take the place again, reemphasizing. God is at work in you that both to his will and to work for his good pleasure. That's an amazing verse. I don't think we think about this very often. God takes pleasure in you. God takes pleasure in you and I. Why? He's created you. Jeremiah's words, for you were formed, I knew you. He has plans for every person. 
best, the greatest thing planned, the plans, is that we know him. Jeremiah is another example. Perry wants to come up again. Jeremiah became known as a weeping, weeping prophet. Because he had this burden for the nation. And God used Jeremiah to do some strange things to get the message to the people. He had a hard calling. He'd get beat up. He gets thrown in an old well pit, sunk in the mud up to his armpits. There he sat, ready, you know, what's, what, where are you, God, at these times? And I look out across our world, I say, Lord, I have nothing to complain about. I have it so good. Yeah, we do. When people have so little, and they're struggling with trying to live on such, like a small little handful of flour, a little oil left in the jar. And just getting along from one day to the next, my daily bread. And people who are homeless, living off, trying to beg something. See, God loves those kinds of people just as much, just as much as anyone else. Anyone else? God loves people. And so, what what happens is when we get close to God, we begin to take on His characteristic, and that's a good thing. And so, what happens and what ought to happen is, because God has forgiven me, I can forgive others. I can forget the past if there's been pain and sorrow somewhere, and I can move on. And I want us just to move on. There, there are going to be things I think that we, we face in our lifetime yet. I just, I just want to prepare us. It's not, now is not the time to slack off and are pressing in toward it. Now is the time to press in. Because what will keep you and help you and strengthen you will be, and you know this, is your time you spent with him. And the time you spend with him as you're going along the path of life. We're going to pray. We just begin to believe you, Jesus. You have great and mighty things for the church. That's not to say that we're going to never be tested, I believe they're, they're, we're being tested already. There's, there's things coming in. There's tests. But Lord, I pray that the enemy will be pushed back. I pray, Lord, that there will be victory in the camp. Lord, I pray for protection on hearts and lives today that are, that are facing hard things, they're facing struggles, they're, they're dealing with things, they're wondering why. There, there are people that are desperate Lord, I hold them up to you, our friends, relatives, neighbors, Lord, co-workers, even our immediate families, Lord, that are going through things that only, Lord, you can bring the healing. And so it comes down to surrender to you, Lord. And we'll do that by singing the final song.
Lord, I need you 